We are at the point, chapters 13 through 17 record the final teachings of Christ during His earthly ministry to His disciples. And these teachings uh, will be uh, advantageous for us. And I find it interesting the order of these And so we'll be in the Gospel of John for several more services looking at these teachings and then moving on uh, to the time of His death and His burial and His resurrection. We're going to start in verse 31, John chapter 13, verse 31, and we're going to read down to about verse 35, and uh, then we're going to jump right in. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, if you're able. John chapter 13, verse 31, Therefore... When He was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek Me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, and we're so grateful for the opportunity we have to gather in your meeting house and to study your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak through us, help us to be faithful to preach your word tonight. We pray for those of our church family that are hurting, those that have suffered loss. We pray that you would give an extra measure of grace and comfort tonight, Lord. And we pray uh, that you would just help them to be encouraged. Lord, we pray now for those that are here, for the listener, Lord. We pray that you would help us to learn, help us to grow closer to you and in this new commandment that you've given us. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Well, over the next few services, as we've already said, we're jumping into this study on the teachings of Christ and his, these last teachings. And very quickly, we're going to go through my first two points because they're, they're repetitive a little bit in what we've already discussed in the previous chapters, but we are going to look at them. And it's interesting to me that before he starts teaching these final teachings, he points out two things. Number one, before teaching anything in these final hours, he points to the glory of God. He points, Jesus points to the glory of of God, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do to what? Glory of God. Amen? That's what we do it for. And so as Jesus is getting ready to get into these really in-depth teachings, we see in verse 31, Therefore, when He was gone out, Jesus said... Now, who are we talking about when He was gone out? That's Judas. After Judas had left, verse 30, we looked at that Sunday night. When He was gone out, Jesus said... Now is the Son of Man glorified. What glorification is He referencing? We'll look back at chapter 12. Look back at chapter 12 and I believe about 20, verse 23. 
And if you'll remember, this is after Jesus' feet have been anointed by Mary. This is after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Verse 23, Jesus answered them saying... that Remember, the Greeks came searching for Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What glorification is He referring to? Well, the continuing of this teaching in John chapter 12, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. And the teaching there in verse 24 is that of His death. That is the hour that Jesus was being prepared for, that Jesus prepared for, and that is the hour that He prepared His followers for. All throughout His ministry, He was preparing them. Verse 23, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And it's no coincidence, as we've studied this passage, that the next reference, He talks about the death of that corn of wheat. Uh, It cannot flourish, it cannot produce fruit, except it die. It fall into the ground and die, but then notice, it abideth alone. If uh, wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And so we see the glorification of God is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've said before over and over and again, that's why I say some of these first two parts are a little repetitious, uh, uh, but the teachings of Christ are very simple. And a lot of them are repetitious. What is repetition in the Word of God? It's God's volume control, right? If He says it one time in one place, then we see it somewhere else in another, then we need to turn the volume up in our heart a little bit and listen a little deeper because it's important the first time, it's really important the next time, and then if there's a third time, we probably should spend some time meditating even more on that subject. The glory of God is what this life is all about. It's what the ministry of Jesus Christ was all about. It's what His death, burial, and resurrection was all about, to bring glory to God. Everything Jesus did was for the glorification of the Father. And how is it that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ glorifies the Father? Because it's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that man is reconciled to God and all things are made new if we partake of that death, burial, and resurrection. But also because it proves that God is in control because of 1 Corinthians 15 where we learn that that resurrection, if it hadn't happened, then we are meeting in vain tonight. Then our belief is in vain. Our faith is in vain. All of it is for God's glory. God's glory alone, not for ours. So we see the glory of God. And then in verse 33, Jesus teaches something that He's already referenced before. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek Me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. What is He referencing? A lot of people say, well, He's talking about heaven. Well, well, we're, we're going to go to heaven when we die. His disciples would be able to go to heaven when they died. So what is he talking about? He's talking about his death. They could not accomplish the death that Jesus had to accomplish. They couldn't follow him to his death. And so he's talking about his death. He is alone to death. 
So we see first the glory of God, and then we see He lets them know that He is alone in this death. He, he is not able to take others with Him in His death. It had to be alone. Notice, let's look, look at John chapter 7. Let's go back to John 7. As we said, some of this we've talked about. Now, it may have been quite some time ago since we've been in John chapter 7. But look at John chapter 7 verse 39. What does He tell the Jews? But this spake He... Well, let's see. Hold on. John chapter 7. Let me jump to the right passage. Let's start in... I think I wrote the wrong passage down. Hold on just a moment. Bear with me. Let's look at verse 39. But this spake He of the Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet what? Glorified. Now that verse was supposed to go in my notes with the first point, not the second, so that's my fault there. But Jesus was glorified, and the glory of God through Jesus also reflected the glory of God. And we see that He had not been glorified And He wouldn't be glorified until after His death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus, no one could go where Jesus was going. I'm searching for the verse because I've written the wrong one down. Let me see here. Bear with me. Amen. The best of men are men at best. I think I might be looking for verse 34. Yes, look at verse 34. Go to verse 33. John chapter 7, look at verse 33. My 4 looked like a 9, even though that was supposed to go with the first one. Amen. It's just one of those days. Amen. All right. Look at verse 33. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and whether I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go into the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come. Now here he's referencing the Father. He's going to go back to the Father. And these Pharisees could not come unto him. And in John chapter 13, in verse 33, he says he said it to the Jews... Whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, you cannot follow me in death. You cannot follow me to the Father. It's very interesting. So he points out the glory of God. He reminds them of the glory of God. He tells them or points out, reminds them that he is alone to death. No one could go where Christ was going to go. And then we see the introduction where we're going to spend the next 15 to 20 minutes on a new commandment. A new commandment. Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, he's already taught the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, with all thy strength. Now he's teaching a new commandment, which for us isn't a new commandment. We know because we've studied this or any 
person that's read the Bible knows that we're to love people. But he specifically points out the commandment for the disciple is to love each other. The loving of one another. He's already exemplified a servant leader in the first part of chapter 13. Now he's introducing a new commandment. So the first of the last teaching, who do we love? We're to love one another. How is this accomplished? That's the question of the evening. How do we love one another? Is it overlooking sin? Is that how we love one another? Look at Proverbs chapter 10. If we overlook sin, does that, is our overlooking of that sin love? Look at Proverbs chapter 10. Verse 12, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love, what? Covereth all sins. Is that talking about sweeping sin under the rug? Is that what the context of the verse is? When the Bible tells us that love covereth all sins, I guess we need to find out what the Bible defines covereth as. Amen? Now notice, verse 11, the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. But violence, what? Covereth the mouth of the wicked. What happens when you cover someone's mouth when they're talking? You can't hear them. It's got to be stopped. Amen? That's what he's saying. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. It stops them. Love doesn't want people to continue in sin. Love doesn't cause us to want to sweep it under the rug, although... Some people interpret this passage, but the Scripture isn't of any private interpretation. All we have to do is go back one verse and see what He means when He says it covereth. The violence covereth the mouth of the wicked, just like love covereth all sins. And so, is love overlooking sin? No, it's stopping sin. It's calling sin out. So we're going to look at two ways that Jesus loved... According to the Scripture, two ways that Jesus loved according to the Word of God. Now before we get to that, I want us to be reminded that if we're saved, then love for one another as saved people should be obvious. Our love for each other should be obvious. Let's look at 1 John very quickly. I want to cover this. I want to make sure. I know it's Wednesday night. I know we're not a big amen church, but sometimes, sometimes it makes me feel like we're not in agreement. And so I want to make sure that we point this out from Scripture. Amen? 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Brethren, verse 7. I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the light, true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. 
1 John is very clear that if we are saved, if our faith and trust is in Christ, then there will be a natural love of saved people. Amen. There will be a natural love for other saved people. Walking even as He walked. He loved His disciples. Back in John chapter 13, what does the Scripture tell us in verse number 2? Or in verse number 1? Having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them until what? Till the end. So the natural reaction or the natural response to other believers... Hey, can I just pause for a second and point out, I did not say other members of this church. Amen? I didn't say other members of this church. Other saved people. They may not be members of this church. Not everybody that's going to heaven is going to be a member of Calvary Baptist Church. Amen? But we should love other saved people. Now other saved people, there may be other brothers and sisters in Christ that don't follow the doctrine of the Word of God to the letter of the law that we do. Meaning that they don't believe in some of the core doctrines. They may believe, or not core doctrines, I don't like that word. It almost makes some sound like there are good doctrines and then there's some that aren't important. All Scripture is profitable. Amen? All of it's essential. What I mean is, there may be some Christians that look a little different than us. Just because they don't look like us, does that mean they're not Christians? Yes or no? No. Amen? Just because they don't look like us doesn't mean that they're not Christians. We're not the cookie-cutter mold of what Christianity should look like. The Word of God teaches us how we should be as Christians. Amen? And so when we come into contact with other people that are brothers and sisters in Christ, we should not act as if we're in a competition because we don't want them to go to that church. We want, we want, they're trying to get people to come to their church. Now listen, we're not talking about cults. What's a cult? It's, some, it's a false religion. Mormonism is a cult. Jehovah's Witness cult. Amen? We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who's maybe a member of another church that's a Christian that needs some help, that needs to be loved. And what's our responsibility as their brother or sister in Christ? To love them. Amen? Now again, stay with me. John 13, commandment is to love one another. We've already been commanded to love our neighbors. That's the world. The brethren are the one another. And so we're going to learn this evening very quickly how Jesus loved. We're going to look at two aspects of His love. The first, He loved honestly. He loved honestly. He had an honest love. Turn to Matthew 23. Remembering the context of Proverbs chapter 10. Remembering that love is not an overlooking of sin, but rather a trying to stop it because we know of its consequences. That's what love is. That's what real love is. There's some things I had, I had here that I wanted to share with you. If I can get it to load. Our ultimate goal is to be like Christ. Amen? Amen. That should be our ultimate goal. Amen? Our ultimate goal is to be like Christ. 
I give, I give you a second chance there. Somebody's got to say amen. Brother Don's not here tonight. Amen. I need you with me. I know we're tired. I am too. I'm trying to cut short, but you're going to have to stay with me. Charles Spurgeon said, if you are to become imitators of Him, in reference to the Lord's love, the husband will be the kindest husband and the most loving of fathers. Amen. The husband will be the kindest husband and the most loving of fathers if we have husbands and fathers that are in the love of Christ. The mother will be the most tender and amiable of mothers and of wives. tender and amiable of mothers and of wives. If you have been forgiven by Christ and so love Him mightily and imitate Him diligently, you will be such men and women that no pastor need to be ashamed to say they belong. Amen. I don't, I don't really have that problem here. Amen. I don't go. I don't know what church they go to. Amen. I don't have to worry about that. No fellow Christians will need to be ashamed to own you as one of their fraternity. No fellow Christians will need to be ashamed to own you as one of their fraternity. If we're imitating Christ, if we are loving each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christ commanded, as Christ did, then we will be above board when it comes to how we treat each other. Amen? We will have a love like none other. We will have a care like none else. We will be a church where other Christians will feel safe because when they walk through the door, they know sin doesn't have a welcome place here, but we which are spiritual will try to restore you. Amen. We'll try to be a safe haven where you can come and you can grow and you can be discipled in the love of Christ. But this love like Christ's love, must be an honest love. We're in Matthew 23. Look at verse 27. Woe! Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. What's that next word? Let's read it out loud. We're in Matthew 23, verse 27. It's on the screen if you need it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Everyone read that word out loud. Hypocrites. Well, that's not very loving. Amen? But who said it? Jesus. Who's He talking to? The religious leaders of Judaism. What was He doing? He was covering sin. Sin is honest. Or uh, love is honest when it comes to sin. Love doesn't cover it up. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I've got... Amen? Think about when your children were younger. And maybe... Some of them, you still want to do this to. I don't know. Amen? But when they do something really dumb that you know is going to cause harm in their life, or disobedient that you know could lead to harm, and they were young, what did you do? You corrected them. Why? You were stopping it. Proverbs says you were covering their sin. You were trying to put an end to it so that it didn't go any further. That's what you were doing. 
That's what Jesus was doing to the scribes and the Pharisees. He was letting them know of their sin. Look, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of what? Dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Jesus had an honest love. He called sin what it was. Why? Because He loved His children. He loved His creation. He loved His creation so much that when He saw sin, He dealt with it. What did He do every time they brought a sinner to Him? What did they do when, what did Jesus do when they brought the adulterous woman before him? He bowed down in the dirt and he wrote something. Scripture doesn't tell us what it is, but whatever it was, it was powerful enough to cause all of her accusers to leave, starting in certain age criteria, and they all left. And then what happened? Where are thine accusers? But then what did Jesus tell her? Go and what? Sit no more. You see, love doesn't sweep sin under the rug. It calls sin what it is to put a stop to it. And then it restores. That's love. That's an honest love. We're going to look at one example of that. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at one more command about love written by The Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Been several years since we've been through Romans 12. Let love be without what? Dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. What is dissimulation? Well, for sake of time, by definition, it is false pretensions or the concealment of opinions. Do you want to know what dissimulation is? Dissimulation is when you see someone that you care about entering into something that's going to cause them harm, but you don't want to ruin how they feel about you, and you just keep your mouth shut. That's dissimulation. There's false pretenses there. You know they're about to harm themselves. You know they're about to do something that's evil, something that's wrong, and yet you say nothing because you don't want to affect that friendship because you are afraid to uh, obscure their opinion of you as being someone who, well, I don't want to come across as legalistic. That's dissimulation. Paul says, let love be without dissimulation. You see someone that's going to do wrong. You see someone that's getting ready to commit great sin or someone that's in the midst of great sin and they are a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ and you love them. Love will cause you to say something and to step in to show them that you're cleaving to that which is good, Jesus Christ, and you're abhorring evil. We have an example of that in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Paul telling the church at Galatia, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself. What? Fearing them which were of the circumcision, 
and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was also uh, was carried away uh, with their what? Dissimulation. Dissimulation. False pretenses. When Peter was there with the Gentiles that were Christians, that were saved, and remembering what Jesus instructed, the new commandment, that they were to love one another as Jesus loved them, Peter, when he saw the Jews coming, separated with with the Gentiles because the Gentiles were considered unclean. They were considered less than because they weren't Jews. And so what did Paul do? Paul, in his love for Peter, withstood him to the face. He stood up for what was right. There was no dissimulation in Paul like there was in Peter and Barnabas and the other Jewish believers that dissembled from those that were viewed as less than in Jewish culture. Paul withstood him to the face. He called out his sin so that it could be corrected. Notice, Paul doesn't say, well... When Peter was coming to Antioch, I took him to dinner and I gently brought up in topic the conversation of the Jew and the Gentile and how we're grafted together and what... He didn't say that. He said, I withstood him to the face. Paul was not one to to mix words. He he was very clear. He was of a rough nature as far as his his speech was rough. But he did so out of love. He did so out of care. He followed the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what type of love should we have? It should be an honest love. Back to John chapter 13. We're almost done. John chapter 13. Not only are we to have an honest love, but we're to have a demonstrated love. Look at verse 2. Supper being ended, the devil having now put into... Uh, uh, the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. What was Jesus doing? He was demonstrating, giving them an example of service. Why? Because He loved them. He was demonstrating that love. Now, we're not going to look at the obvious demonstration. The obvious demonstration of the love of Christ is what? His death. His sacrifice. That's the obvious one. I want us to look at this one. Now, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 8. We're we're like right at the very conclusion. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus sent him away because he was too busy. That's not what it says. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. I will be thou clean. What did Jesus do? He healed that man. Why? Because He loved him. Jesus cared for His creation. He loved him and He 
demonstrated that love. How was Jesus' love demonstrated to this man? He fulfilled his request. Notice, this man was a leper. And he worshipped Jesus and he asked if he would be clean. And what did Jesus do? He did it. He fulfilled the request. Look, look down, same chapter, look at verse 5. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I'm too busy. I just healed a leper. I am going to go lay my head down. I need my mid-Sunday nap. I'm too busy to help you. You see where I'm going with this? What did he do? Verse 7, Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Jesus demonstrated His love. What did this centurion need? He needed Jesus to intervene in his life. He needed Jesus to intervene in his life and to heal his servant. And what did Jesus do? Exactly what the centurion asked. Amen. I need a, we need an amen button. You remember the, um, what were those buttons, the staples? The easy button, y'all remember that where you hit it and everything got... I need an amen button. I can hit up here and just, amen. I'll record Brother Don one day. That's what we need to do. And then we'll put the button in the back and Brother Royce can hit it when Brother Don's not here. Amen. What did Jesus do? He demonstrated His love. Same chapter. Same chapter. Look at verse 14. Matthew chapter 8 is filled with instances of Jesus healing people and fulfilling their requests. Look at 14. When Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother. Now, just side note, this is how we know Peter wasn't the first pope because he was married. Amen? It was his wife's mother. Nobody, amen, nobody takes a mother-in-law without taking a wife. Amen? Just don't happen. Amen? Look, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. What did he do? Touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose. Now, there's a lot here in this passage because verse 15 says, as she arose and ministered unto them. As soon as Jesus intervened and healed her, she started serving Him. Amen. What a wonderful thing. But what did Jesus do? Did anybody ask Him to heal Peter's mother-in-law? No. What did He do? He loved Peter. He loved Peter's family. He saw the need of Peter's mother-in-law and He intervened on her behalf. Why? Because He loved people. He loved them. They were His creation. Peter was His disciple. Look at verse 23, same chapter. I told you this chapter is filled with, with instances, with examples. When He was entered into the ship, His disciples followed Him. Good disciples, amen. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. What happened? Jesus intervened on behalf of his followers. Why? He was demonstrating his love. You've often heard... You've often heard the statement, the old proverb, the saying, nobody knows how much you know till they know how much you care. It's a true statement, amen? People don't care what you know about this book 
Your brothers and sisters don't care what you know about this book if you don't care about them. It's important that we are able as a church to show the love of Christ to other believers. To imitate and demonstrate the honesty of the love that Jesus has for them. Because we love them as well. Look at chapter 9. You're in Matthew. Flip over a page. Look at chapter 9. Verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. His sin need was greater than his physical need. And what happens? Jesus takes care of both of them. Read the story. What did he do? He forgave him of his sins. And then he healed him. Said, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Why? Because Jesus loves people. He loves His own. Turn to John 15. Look down at verse 12. How much should we be willing to demonstrate the love of Christ for our brothers and sisters in Christ? To what extent does this demonstration go? How should we be so willing to love them? How are we going to demonstrate that love as Christ demonstrated that love? Verse 12. This is what? My commandment. Let's read it together. This is my commandment. Who's speaking? Jesus. Whose commandment is this? Jesus' commandment. What's the commandment? That ye love one another. How? As I have loved you. Then, look at verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You say, well, wait a second. You're telling me, you're telling me that if I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I would be willing to die for them. Absolutely. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and we'll be done. You say, well, that's not what that verse is saying. That's not what that's talking about. Jesus died for our sins and He's just pointing out how great His love is. What's the context? His commandment. What's His commandment? That we love one another. That we have love for the brethren. So much so that it's demonstrated all the way up to the point that we would be willing to die if it meant that our brothers and sisters in Christ would have a godly life. 1 John 3.16. We know John 3.16. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave. Now, notice 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for who? The brethren. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You want to know why we struggle with loving the brethren? This new commandment that Jesus has given here at the latter days of His life. These, the love that we're supposed... How do we show the love of God to the world? How do we do that? We preach the gospel. That's how we do that. 
How do we show the love of God to our brothers and sisters in Christ? They've already accepted Christ as their Savior. That's what makes them brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to love them honestly, and we have to demonstrate. We have to have an honest love and a demonstrated love, just as Jesus. When our brothers and sisters have a need, we're there. When they don't have a need that they know about, or maybe, maybe they just something's happened in their life, and they haven't even requested that we be there, we're there. That's how we're going to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So much so that we're willing to die for each other. We're willing to lay down our lives if that's what it takes to let our brother know that sin is going to hurt you. That sin is going to harm you. To let our sister know we ought not behave like this. We're Christians. To let our church family know that we love them like Christ loves them. If there is anybody that is a member of this church that you're not willing to die for, then you don't love like Jesus loves. Think about that. If there is someone that is a member, because in order to be a member, you've got to be what? Saved. Amen. So let's just start here. If there is a saved person in this church membership, or maybe they're saved and they've never joined the church or whatever, but you know them, they're here, they're a member, or they're not, but they're saved. And you know they're a believer by profession of faith and their testimony. And there's someone that you would not die for. You would not sacrifice everything that you have to make sure that they live a godly life. Then you're not loving as Jesus loved. Every head bowed, every eye closed.